0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Amber, and I work here with Thad and John and David at UPC. Um, And tonight John asked Thad and I to give, well to to reflect on the scripture that, that Carly just read and to share with you a little bit of those reflections coming from both of us who are, you know, we're in our 20s, kind of like the majority of you. And uh, so so with that, I have a couple of things that stand out. I feel like this scripture is pretty rich. There's a lot in here that we could talk about, but but two of the things that stood out to me as I read uh, read this and kind of thought about it were um, the sense of identity in this and and how in, in the tempting... Um, that Satan is is attacking and, and questioning Jesus's identity and and who he is, as well as he's asking he's asking Jesus to um, to prove himself and to and and with that he asks him to to meet his own needs to to take care of himself. And I think that those are two things that really really stuck out to me. Um, and so, along with that, uh, as far as identity goes, I think that. Um, it's important for us to, to, as we read this chapter, at least it was important for me, uh, to look at what came right before it. And um, in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, is Jesus' baptism. And that's what comes right before this temptation in the wilderness. And it says, uh, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I think that's pretty powerful. In in this baptism, Jesus is told exactly who he is. He is affirmed in his identity by, by the Holy Spirit as well as by God the Father. Uh, there is no question about who Jesus is. And if Jesus ever had any questions about his identity, it is affirmed in that moment. And, um I think that's really cool <laughs> And so for when i look at this also I, I think well that's great for jesus and not to diminish his temptation but uh somebody told him who he was <laughs> and and for me i think that um, as i reflect on kind of my 20s uh, up till now uh, a big a big part of that has been trying to figure out who i am and and what my identity is and who, who that true self is, and and I've done a lot of things to figure that out, um, <laughs> and a lot of them have been unsuccessful. Uh, I've associated with a bunch of different organizations. I've had different jobs. I've had different titles, different labels, different affiliations. You name it, we've had it. Um, I mean, heck, I've got right here a whole bunch of things that tell me who I am and tell other people who I am. Let's see if I can do this without dropping it. I am an American citizen. <laughs> I am... A British citizen, hey surprise. <laughs> uh, I am a Washington state resident and licensed driver and organ donor. <laughs> I'm a Costco member. I am a YMCA member. I am a card carrying member of the, well, member, I don't know. I am a library card holder. <laughs> I know. I'm insured by group health. <laughs> Those are a few, just a few of the tangible things that that identify me. <laughs> and yet and yet all of these things and, and I have a whole bunch of other things that are not as tangible. I am a I'm a woman, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, blah da di-da. Like there's a bunch of things that, that I can say that I am. And yet all of those things, even all of those things altogether, are super shallow and hollow when I really look at them and try to have those things identify who I am in in my deepness. <laughs> um, and I think that um, there's something to be said here though that as I, as I really reflected on this and thought about this quest for tr- figuring out who I am and what my identity was that that I have been told that desire that i that I had to you know be told just like Jesus was told who I am I have been told and it and it is all over these pages, and I do believe it um, there there's a lot of stuff that that in in the New Testament that talks about being in Christ and and how we are new creations and one one of the many that I I hang on to is in 2 Corinthians 5:17. It says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here." I think that's a big deal. I have been told who I am, and and I love that. I love who I am, and because it it really speaks to who I truly am, and and it's not hollow and it's not shallow. And, and it's continually repeated in, in that, and it's continually repeated in, in where I should live from. And yet, even though I've been told who I am, I feel like this is my, at least my eternal struggle, and I feel like a lot of people can probably relate that in that I, I struggle to trust God. I struggle to trust what He says, and, I mean, do you, yeah I believe I totally I do I truly believe in in the depths of me that I am who he says I am and, and that is my identity, and yet, is he really going to take care of everything? Is he going to meet all my needs i don 't know I could, maybe I could do it better you know and and I think this is one of the places that I identify with Jesus in the wilderness, um, at least right now pretty, pretty strongly is, um, is in that struggle to, to really trust God with who I am and, and for provision. Of, of meeting my needs in that. I'm um, going to read the beginning part of, of what Carly wrote, read earlier. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, the Jordan where he was just baptized and told who he was and affirmed in his identity. Uh, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread it 's kind of where i 'll stop, uh, but I think in this this is the part that I kind of concentrated on and, and it and it speaks a lot to where where i 'm tempted a lot in in trying to <coughs> take care of myself in this It says that Jesus was hungry, and of course he was hungry he hadn 't eaten for forty days and and stuff and yet, and the devil tempts him with something that he 's totally capable of. Uh, he, the devil says. Turn these stones into bread. You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, "Turn these stones into bread," that's not really a temptation because I can't do that. <laughs> but but Jesus is totally capable of turning the stones into bread, and we see later on in the Gospels that that he feeds five thousand with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, and and then goes on to do it again. And and there's so many different miracles. It's not that Jesus isn't capable of doing this. It's just that um, it's it's very much a temptation because he's capable of doing it. Uh, and I think that that is, is kind of where this is a bad thing. Um, it, Jesus turning stone into bread and feeding himself and meeting his need is not a bad thing. The devil isn't tempting him with something that is so heinous that, that it's obviously wrong. It's something that, that by, by, if, if Jesus were to choose this, if Jesus were to, to meet his own need apart from God... Then he would be dishonoring God by not trusting in God's provision and God's and God's um, willingness and, and and goodness and and trustworthiness. And I think that's a that's a big deal, uh, and I think that that's sometimes what I can do. I can, I can look at things and and see my real or my perceived needs, and and I can let those things undermine my identity and who I really am, and uh, that's not a good thing. So the the theme of tonight is is choosing the best and. I think that that is a big example for us here as, as Jesus looks at this. He's, he's not choosing a good thing. He's not choosing the easy thing right there. He's not choosing obvious either. He is choosing the best. And, and I think that that is huge. He's, he's living into the identity that God has given him, and he's making all of his other decisions out of that place based on that, based on that reality of who he is and i think that that for me as i as i look at this as i reflect on on what that means for me that that is the joy and the challenge that i have it, the joy is that i know who i am i have been told who i am but the challenge is for me to live intentionally from that place and to choose the best and not just the good and so that's that's my reflection on this little section of scripture and, and thad's got a little share for you too
2: yeah so uh I was kind of an idiot uh, growing up as a kid. Um, part of me, I still fully believe. I'm kind of dumb um, with my, some of my daily decisions. Uh, growing up as a kid in Wisconsin, uh, I had an older brother three years older than me. Uh, I always try to keep up with him. And one of your pretty much daily chores in Wisconsin, every time it snows, the kids go out and shovel the driveway. And so each day, or whenever it would snow, my brother and I would go out and shovel the driveway. And without fail, the snow plow would come down the street, and fill the first 10 feet of the driveway back up with snow. And we'd have to go back and reshovel it again. And so you get these big mounds on the sides of the driveway, Shovel everything. And so my brother and I had this genius idea, um, is we would leave the last 10 feet of the driveway, but everything from that first 10 feet and behind, we'd flip out right out here to the right corner of this driveway, right in front there. And we'd wait for the snowplow, and I'd crouch down just like so, right behind this big mound, and right as the snowplow got right here, I would jump out in front of the snowplow, right in front of his blade, because there's this huge wave of snow that comes. And you get riding around in it, and it kicks all the snow in from the street, and then you get rolled across, and you hit this side of the driveway in this big pile of snow. And it's just a ton of fun. Incredibly stupid, but, man, we were having a lot of fun. And so my mom was like, it snowed again, like, a couple weeks later, a couple feet at a time. And I remember like, oh, we're going to go shovel the driveway, now we're going to go... Yeah, okay, see you later, Mom. And my mom's just like, why would they ever be excited to go shovel the driveway? And so she kind of sits there and looks out the windows or shoving the driveway, kind of noticing like we're laughing and just having a little too much fun for being a chore. We sit there. I'm waiting for the snowplow to come. We get everything. I'm just ducked down. I jump out in front of the snowplow, get tossed around four or five times, hit the other side of the driveway. My mom comes running out of the house, screaming, just flipping out all over the place. Can't believe how dumb we are. She's like, I've raised you to be smarter than that. I'm like, Mom, it's safe. It's snow. Um, And it was just one of those things where, obviously, my mom had the best intentions for me. But my intentions of fun kind of got in the way. She had set up guidelines for me after that of we couldn't shovel the driveway until after the snowplow had come. Things like that because, clearly, we couldn't be trusted to think for ourselves and not jump in front of a... A 20-ton piece of machinery. Um, and this is kind of what parents do. They set up guidelines for you, times go to bed, when to do your homework, when to do your chores. And you're like, this, this sucks. But it's, it's to help you. And you get into your adolescent years, and you're like, no, I want to do my way. And you kind of have this tension between my way and their way. Um, so another day in Green Bay, my brother and I are at this big hill called Fireman's Hill where you go sledding. And there's this one long side, just long, kind of your, uh, Average slant to it, and just kind of, it's kind of like the bunny hill of Fireman's Hill. And then you go off to the left, and there's a super steep part. It's just about always icy, and it shoots you down through the trees. It's just a rush. And so my mom's like, "All right, time to go home. We got to do this." And we had really only gotten like one or two runs down this really steep part. So uh, I'm walking back up. My brother had just gone, and I was like, "What the heck? My brother's got to go another time. I want to go." And so I'm walking up the hill, and I go, oop, I slip, and I dive out and go down the thing again. Go straight down, I hit the jump, and go over the jump, land, and my beanie comes over my eyes. Right as I lift up my beanie, smack, right into a tree. Obviously, I should have uh, listened to what my mom had set out for guidelines here. Uh, and that's kind of where I uh, pick up the story here with uh, Jesus. He's out in the desert, he's been tempted, um, and he's, he's come to this point where... You're hungry. You want to do this. Like, it's, it's an easy choice. And, you know, Jesus, you're going to be the king of the Jews. You're the son of God. You have all this in front of you. But the devil comes like, Hey, dude, come on. I can just give it to you now. We can kind of forgo this whole dying on the cross thing and 40 lashes across the back and all the agony. You're going just skip this whole like 10 year process here and just move your head along and whatnot and get to the easy way. And that's his, his choice. He's got the quick way, Jesus' way the devil's way, or the quote-unquote long way, God's way, the path that's going to lead him to where he wants to be, the guidelines that he set out in his life. And God's path really requires, for Jesus and for all of us, uh, a humbling of himself there. When I first read this passage, one of the things that jumped out of me when I was talking to John and Amber about this was a passage from Philippians 2, and it talks about how Jesus is in the form of man looking like man, um, and he's chosen to become servant, putting himself in a role of nothing, not being a god, and has humbled himself in every way, um, and that's that's really what you look at. Is Jesus had to humble himself and say, "I am God's son, and I'm I'm going to choose His path in the same way that all of us have to choose that path as well." And it really, the really question is, are you going to love God more, or are you going to love yourself more? Uh, and it's way easier to love ourselves as a god as opposed to loving God Himself. Um, and this temptation to replace that to replace love with power in our own lives instead of loving God and his plan to take that power for ourselves and go our own way. Uh, Henry Nouwen uh, has a book called In the Name of Jesus, and we've been reading it in a small group of some different people here at the church. And he has a quote saying, the history of people ever and again are tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, and being led, or being a leader over being led. And it kind of, each one of those shows where you put your own ambitions, your own selfishness ahead of what God's chosen for you and what's better for other people. Back on that sledding hill, really, my way was the most selfish way possible that I could have chosen. It was affecting my brother and my mom who both wanted to get home, have dinner, and honestly the rest of my family who were going to be waiting for us. But I chose my way. I hit that tree going about as fast as you can, spent three and a half plus hours in the emergency room that night, got 12 stitches on my forehead, I've got a great scar right here. If you want to come up and take a look at it, had a really late dinner, so I was starving by the end of the day, and I got in a lot of trouble. Um, and it was just, it was, kind of, it kind of sucked. Um, and it was one of those moments where I was just like, I, I should probably listen to my parents. I'm bleeding from my head profusely now, and it's kind of nasty, and there's blood all over the snow, and that's just gross. Um, and i have kind of from that, just taken it um, into my life now, of where the areas then I need to help myself. Where do I need to love God and his plan for my life more than I love myself, more than I love my own power and my own strength and submitting myself to him? Uh, that's kind of what jumps out to me from this.
3: He also, strangely enough, is a very disciplined guy. He is, and I think his discipline shows in the fact that one time I'll see him, he'll weigh 250 pounds The next time I'll see him, three months later, he'll be 180 pounds. Like Mike, what happened? He's like, I'm on a diet. I'm running. I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm like, wow, that's very disciplined. And then the next time, of course, I'll see him, and he's up over two bills and living the dream that way. Um, (laughs) But Mike, Mike instituted something called Fat Saturday, and it really has changed his life. When he instituted Fat Saturday, it was the first time in his life that there was an equilibrium, a balance to his, his weight fluctuation. And this is the process for him. Mike is disciplined throughout the week. Sunday through Friday, he counts his calories, he puts it into the computer, he eats salads, he exercises, and then comes Saturday. Mike eats whatever he wants on Saturday and you see I just I actually spent last Saturday with Mike <laughs> it was nauseating <laughs> it you know and sometimes some of his friends have really talked to him about this philosophy it will never be a fad diet because personally I think it's dangerous <laughs> it's so dangerous one fat Saturday at the early institution of it before Mike really knew what it meant to his body started out in the morning by going to ihop, had three breakfasts at ihop. On the way home, stopped by the store, bought a case of Coke and a package of donuts, had the donuts were gone and three Cokes were gone by the time he got home. He got home and he turned right back around and he went to McDonald's where he ordered a supersized McDonald meal, came home, and snacked and drank about five more Cokes uh, throughout the afternoon. And long about 6 p.m., Mike started feeling it. Mm. What is going on with my body? And of course, I mean, we can see of course. <laughs> so he, he calls his wife. Yes, someone married this man. <laughs> he... He calls his wife and he, he says, I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital and will you meet me there? And he can barely talk because he's in intense pain. So he goes to the emergency room and he checks in and he can barely sit up straight because his stomach is in such intense pain. And he waits and he waits and he waits and he's literally crying, a grown man crying on the floor because of his stomach ache. And he finally gets in, and the doctor sees him. And he's, he's the doctor's like, "What's wrong with you? You know, tell me, tell me what you're feeling." He's like, "I have intense pain. Have you seen alien? It's happening, you know." <laughs> and and the doc, the first question the doc, doctor asks, looks at him with all the clinical seriousness that he can muster. He says, "Well, what have you eaten today?" <clears throat> Might go through the list. Uh, <laughs> of everything he'd eaten that day. And the doctor was like, oh, oh big surprise, you know, <laughs> of course. Basically, Mike had eaten about 165 grams of saturated fat. And if you didn't know what that does, that will shut down um, your gallbladder. That will actually clog your gallbladder and shut it down and send it into hysterics so he, he that's actually the clinical term. He had a hysterical gallbladder. And the doctor said, he said, I'm going to prescribe something that I've never prescribed to anyone else. I prescribe vomiting to you. You need to vomit and you will feel better. So he gave him syrup of Ipecac. He went home and he threw up and he slept it off. Like a lot of people might sleep off fat Tuesday. Mike had to sleep off fat Saturday. Well, I tell you that story because in a way it shows that Mike's in Mike's life, there was a way of life that was challenged. His eating habits and the way he lived was really challenged. And he knew it. He knew all the health concerns. He knew all of that. And so he, he had just enough discipline to change it a little bit. But he didn't have everything it took to go the whole way. And, you know, tonight we're talking a little bit about temptation and what it means. We have the story of Jesus in the desert and Jesus is being tempted. Now, what it means to be tempted is to be enticed into an improper behavior or to have your way of life challenged to a different way of life. And I think that's an important distinction to understand when, when we're talking about temptation in this case. Jesus' way of life was being challenged in the desert. Not, not the first century uh, Jewish way of life that he was living, but the, the way of life and the identity that God his Father had given to him. Amber shared that Jesus had just received the identity of, of the Messiah, as the son of God through his baptism. And you know, in, in the temptations, the, the devil who is, um, challenging Jesus chooses three very intentional ways to, uh, tempt Jesus. He, ch- he chooses bread, he chooses kingdom, and he chooses a death in Jerusalem. Those are three distinct things that weren't out of the blue. Because those were things that Jesus actually lived into. The bread turned these stones into bread. I I can only imagine the irony that Jesus felt at that moment. I couldn't help but be like, whatever, turn these stones into bread. Later in his life, Jesus took bread and he said to his friends, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the one who will sustain you. In this moment, the devil wasn't simply offering Jesus a meal. He was challenging the way that Jesus would become the bread of life to this world. He was saying, I know where you're headed. I know where you've come from. I know where you're at right now. And I know where you're going. And I want to give you a detour to that identity. You were God provided manna in the desert for his people in the Old Testament the, the spirit challenged with bread in the desert, Jesus went on to become the bread of life, the sustainer of our faith. Moving on to kingdom, Jesus, Jesus was taken up to the heights and said, Look out, all of the kingdoms of this world will be yours. Same thing. I would have responded the same way because Jesus knew what he was king of. He was not only king of this world, he would not only sit on the throne of this world as the son of God, but he would sit on the throne in heaven as the ruler, the one we worship when we enter eternal eternal life. Jesus was being offered a temporary crown. What he knew that he already had because of his identity as, as God's son was the eternal place as king in the kingdom of heaven. There was no way in the world he was going to turn to the right or turn to the left of that destiny. The next thing that the spirit tempted Jesus with was throw yourself down on these rocks in the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the, the place that God had chosen to live out his life on earth. Throw yourself down on these rocks Use your power to save yourself, to spare your own life. Take away the death that you are to experience in this very city, and I will make everyone worship you. Thad shared the Christ hymn from Philippians 2, where Jesus took on the very nature of human. He he lived, He died, He was resurrected. He was elevated to the place in heaven where every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Jesus was holding on to that identity over the temptation of living out a temporary kingship in the city of Jerusalem. All three of those things were were presented to Jesus. They weren't things that were out of the blue. They were things that were actually going to happen in Jesus' life. Jesus was on a trajectory. Each With each temptation, he used a passage out of Deuteronomy to refute the Spirit. Uh with identity he said, No, uh God is the one who's to be worshipped. With sustaining himself, he said no, uh, uh the bread of life is there. Um, he he went back to the core. Deuteronomy is the book of the law in for the Jewish people. The Ten Commandments are given and it's then shown how to live your life. An ethic, a way of life is defined. The trajectory of Jesus' life was defined when God chose. Humanity. When God said, I choose to be a part of humanity's life, that trajectory was fulfilled and lived into when Jesus came to earth to live as a as a man. And it was sustained and set aside for us when Jesus put aside saving himself to die on the cross. That's where the good news is for us. The trajectory of identity was established when God chose people. That's great, but what's it mean to us? Well, that identity is given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the bottom line of why we enter a place in worship. And you know, the, the life that Jesus chooses, He chooses a life of obedience. He takes, He says no to temptation. The opposite to living a life of temptation is living a life of obedience living a life of discipleship. Jesus responded yes to God. And because of that ultimate yes to God, that identity demanded, he says no, to any alternative way of life. Now, we live in a culture. Jesus lived in a culture, first century, the, the, the kingdom and empire of Rome. We live in a different culture now. But we have the same question that's posed to us. What is the way of life that you are choosing to live into? You know, sometimes the knock on the Christian faith is that, what do, what do I mean in it? What, what do I choose into it? And, you know, that's a legitimate knock. Jesus, It talks about doors a lot in the Gospels and in Revelation. And all of the doors are opened by God. But there's one door that's left to us. And that's the door of self-sufficiency. In the moment of temptation, do we say, I can do this on my own? Or do we say, no, I'm going to live into the identity that was given to me before time, before creation, into the person of Jesus throughout history now. Do I live as a person who is chosen by God? Or do I say, I'm going to do it on my own. You know, as we head into the time of Lent, this is a time of contemplation. There are 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter. And it's 40 days preparing our hearts for the grand celebration of Jesus' triumphant uh, resurrection from death. I think a great question that we can have to go into Lent is, whose way am I choosing? Am I choosing the way of this culture, the way of self-sufficiency, the way of doing it on my own in isolation? Or am I choosing to do it the way of the identity of a person who has been claimed by God? I think that's a simple thing. You know, as I, as I head into this season of Lent, I've, I've asked myself that same question. How do I live out my life serving myself? And here's a question I ask, I ask, I've been asking my friends the last couple weeks as I've been thinking about this. Hey, how have you been? How's it going? What's going on in your life? Do you know nine times out of ten what the answer is? Think of this. How would you answer this? How are you doing? Fine, good. That's, that's the, the first one. And then I'm like, no, really, how are you doing? I'm really busy. I'm really busy. And I found myself answering the same way. You know, the temptation, I think the temptation that we face a lot in our culture is the temptation of time, how we spend our time. We live in an affluent culture, but not all of us are wealthy. But we do live in a culture that affluence of time is something all of us can possess. When we choose to say the words, how are you doing?, I'm really busy. We're reflecting our culture. We're saying the way that I choose to live my life is I'm busy. Well, what are you busy with? I say that all the time. Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm really busy. And last night, guess what? I watched three episodes of that 70s show. (laughs) Am I really that busy? Or do I like to hoard my time for my own well-being? That's a tough question. But this time of Lent is a time for tough questions like that. And we only ask those tough questions to prepare to fully worship God, to come before God laying all of our life out. Not part of it, but all of it. Our heart and our soul and our mind pouring out in worship to God. As we head into Lent, I think we can look at the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. There are temptations that challenged who he really was, and he was able to stand up and say, I am not of this moment. I am the God of the past, I am the God of the present, and I am the God of the future. Because it was the person of Jesus Christ, we have been invited into that heritage. We have been invited to into that the people, that way of life, that family. And we've also been invited into a purpose that defines who we are in a greater way than this culture. I encourage you during this time of Lent, I encourage you in this evening, we're going to have some moments of contemplation, to really consider what defines you. That's the one question that we're left with in our faith. The good news is that Jesus has answered the tough questions for us. The question that we're posed with, is do I live into that identity? Am I, defi- am I willing to give up my self-sufficiency to be defined by the living God? When Jesus was preparing to live into the final piece of his human identity, he gathered with his friends in a small room and he talked about what was coming. He talked about his death upcoming in the week, They didn't understand what it meant. They were hoping and thinking he was going to create a whole new way of life for them at that time. Jesus knew that the way of life that he was creating was a way to live out their earthly existence with the reality of eternity on their minds. When we look at the table, when we look at communion, that's what we're being invited into. We take the bread and we take the cup as our response to being claimed as God's children. On the night before his resurrection, Jesus gathered with his friends and he took a meal. And at the end of the meal, he he took the remaining bread and the cup, and he said to them, This is my body. Broken for you. Whenever you gather... Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. They knew what the old covenant was. It was the Deuteronomical law that they had lived faithfully by. And he said, I am the new covenant. I am the face of the faith that you have lived out. Whenever you gather, know Drink this cup and know that it is for you. You have been invited in, and this is what will sustain you. The cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the sustaining body symbolized in the bread. Tonight we're going to take communion. Before we do that, John's going to offer up a word of prayer.
0: To that in which we can affirm that we are yours, that you have given yourself for us. Lord, well, I pray that you clarify our minds. Lord, let us come simply before you, simply. Lord, to all the busyness, to all the chaos, to all the the many good things that perhaps pull us in, in directions that maybe we don't even want to go, and we know we don't want to go, Lord, I pray that you give us freedom. Lord, as we come to this table, Lord, I pray that you empower us to live into the very best of what you have for us. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have given us yourself in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue in worship. We invite you to come forward. There'll be stations on either side. If the, the other servers want to come forward, that would be great. Um, there's also, you notice on the, on the side, there are these um, boxes full of sand and, and candles. And, and what this really is, there's nothing mystical about it, but it's simply a, an opportunity to, it's an exercise of prayer. And if you if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, let this be a way for you to pray, for you to essentially to, to, to stick your identity down in the, in the sand of the desert and to simply say, Lord, I want to choose the best. I want to choose what you have for me. And, and, and perhaps it's an opportunity for you as you light that candle to be able to say, here, here are the good things that are just pulling me in a lot of different directions. I confess those things. Lord, I want to choose the best. Let it be a prayer of confession, but also of identity and say, I am yours and I choose the identity that you have given me, that that of your son, that of your daughter. I invite you to come forward to to engage in prayer as you feel led. Gifts of God for the people of God. Come as you feel led.